Father, thank you so much for a new day. Father God, thank you that this is the day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad, Father God. Thank you for the privilege that we have that we can come together, gather in your name, Father God, in this house, your home. Father God, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, Father God, that they are gathering right now, trying to get protection from their enemy, Father God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you are strengthening them, uh, that you, Father, protect them. I pray for the family members, Father God. I pray that you, Father, give them wisdom and discernment in these hours, Father. Father, we thank you so much for, for this day. We thank you that, that you brought us together, Father God, with only one purpose, and it's to glorify your name, Father God. So let us today, Father, this morning, to glorify you, because you are worthy, worthy to be praised. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Jesus for this day God and Father we can only imagine what it would be like to stand before you Lord I thank you Father for your truth I thank you that it's in your truth Father that we find freedom I thank you Father your word declares that he who the Son sets free is free indeed 
I thank you, Father, that you are revealed to us in your word and that you draw us to yourself through the Holy Spirit. Bring on this revelation and understanding that, God, you would please to reveal yourself to us through your Son, Jesus. I pray, God, as we open your word today, Lord Jesus, that we would be attentive, that our hearts would be good soil, Father, to receive. Father, that your word would go down deep, that it would be rooted within us, God, that it would bring forth lasting fruit in our lives, Father, never to be the same. We thank you that your word says that you transform us by renewing our minds, by changing the way we think. So God, we look unto you this morning. And we pray, Lord Jesus, come. Have your way within us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 31 is where we're heading this morning. Chapter 31, verse 17. <clears throat> But before we go there, I just want to kind of remind us kind of what we're, what we're walking through. I'm walking us through the Bible. We're going through Old Testament, New Testament, and we're going back to the book of Psalm and the book of Proverbs. That's how we're breaking down Sundays, probably for quite some time now, because there's a lot to get through. But my hope in doing this is to bring revelation to us of who God is. We live in a generation, we live in a time where God's word is being distorted. There's such a great deception. God himself is not even really being honored, if you would. And you've heard me say many times before, as you see him, so you'll live. If you see him as Lord, you'll live as if he's Lord over your life. If you don't see him as God, if you don't see him as Lord, if you don't see him victorious, you won't pay any mind to him. We talked last week. There's a lot of people sitting in churches today that aren't saved. They're just superstitious. And how sad it would be to take your last breath and stand before a holy God, not saved, but only full of superstition. Being superstitious doesn't save you. Going to church doesn't save you. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ saves you. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal life. See, each of us were created for eternity. We were not created for the temporalness of this life. Temporalness. Things that are temporal are only here today and gone tomorrow. And yet... That's where a lot of us place our hope, is in the temporalness of life. That's where a lot of us are deceived before we come to Christ. The Bible says that Satan blinds our eyes and we're deceived to think that this is all that, that's here. The temporalness of life. You see, we all know that we are born in rebellion against God's kingdom. All of us. All of us are born into that sinful nature. That sinful nature that is in rebellion towards God. But as Christians, we're not called to remain rebellious. See, as Christians, you have an understanding that when you gave your life to Jesus, you are born again now. You're born of the Spirit. There's a process that takes place within you. Remember, 
Jesus was approached by that religious leader and he said, how must I be born again? Jesus explains it's of the spirit. It's not a natural rebirth. No, it's a spiritual rebirth. And in that rebirth, you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You gain an understanding of who God is and you begin to live for him. You begin to honor God in all of your sayings and all of your doings. You don't make excuses for your sins. No, you repent of them. You turn from them. You see, 20 years ago, when I was on my knees, and at that moment I, I, I confessed I was a sinner, that I needed Jesus as my Savior, my life changed. I didn't need a weak God. I needed a God. I needed Jesus to be who he said he was. A God that transforms. A God that renews. A God that gives us hope. Even in the midst of a temporal world that is so chaotic and so deceived, he says that we can still live upright because we should be about his business while we're on this earth. See, when you bow your knee and you give your life to Jesus, you're not transported to heaven. No, your body, your mind, your soul, everything about you is reborn. And now you're growing in this. You're maturing in this. And now your light going out into a dark world, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. That there is hope for those who are held enslaved and captive to their sinful nature. Darkness is spreading throughout the earth. And it's an alarming rate. Things, violence, you name it, is on an increase. It's increasing at a rapid pace. But that's not for the church to be alarmed. That's to awaken the church to be who she's supposed to be in this hour. Amen. To love and to serve. Because we once were there. We once partook of that. But as the church, we don't partake of that any longer. But as the church, what we see is the need to go out and preach the gospel. To proclaim the good news. To tell of the risen Savior. The victorious one who defeated sin and death through his resurrection. That he has ascended into heaven. That he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And that he poured out the Holy Spirit to empower his church to do his will. And that's what a Christian is. One who is empowered to do the will of God on this earth. The Bible says that we are to be his ambassadors. That we're to proclaim the good news, you all. It's good news. Jesus is just not a figure of someone's imagination. No one could put this incredible love story together. I know people say whatever they want about the Bible. They challenge the Bible. Oh, man wrote it, yada, 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 whatever. No man could have taken all these writings and put them together and bring forth a beautiful story of redemption of mankind. No man could do that. Only God could. God inspired man and man to write it. But God put it together. Why do you think that this book causes so many problems. People hate it. Governments want to get rid of it. They have tried throughout the years to strip it from your hands. 
even the religious leaders. Even the religious leaders would rather you not have this in your hand. They, at times, would have rather controlled the people of God to keep the people of God oppressed in order for the church to be about their own business and not God's business. The Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jesus' time, who did Jesus have the problem with the most? The religious folks. He had an issue with the men who were saying they knew him and yet did not know him. They were oppressing God's people, keeping them away from God. And yet they were supposed to be the men who led people to God. So it's no different in Jesus' day as it's been throughout the days and the days to come. Because we're warned in the Bible, careful of those who creep into the church and preach a different gospel. Careful what you're listening to and who you're listening to. It may sound right, it may sound good, but does it honor Jesus? And I encourage y'all, every time you hear a gospel that gives you the right to sell, run from it. Every time you hear a gospel that lays down a plan of how you're to do this and how you do that and how you do that, and it makes about you trying to be right with God, get away from it. That's not the gospel. See, the gospel is Jesus. Your new life in Christ is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's depending upon Jesus. In and of myself, I would not come to Jesus if it wasn't for him drawing me to himself. To get myself up from my knees and say, okay, God, my life is yours. I don't know how to live. I know what I would do, so teach me. I want to encourage y'all, do you find yourself there daily? God, I don't know how to live, but show me how to live. And that's why I tell y'all, whenever you see Christians fall and stumble, you shouldn't be shocked. Because all we know to do is to go back to who we were. That's all we know. It's that sinful lifestyle that's in complete rebellion to his kingdom. Listen, we all deserve punishment. We all deserve the wrath of God. But God so loved us that he sent his one and only son. Jesus took upon our punishment for no other reason but to display his love for us. So why is it that we keep pushing him away? Why is it that we blame him? Why is it that we curse him? Why is it that we're so eager to go our way, to fulfill our lusts? To gain what we want in this temporal world, knowing that it's not going to last. Trying to find our identities in the, in the relationships and the things of this world. Trying to find our securities in, in, in relationships that we'll never be able to find. See, Jesus says, and as we've talked about before, Jesus says, peace I give you. Peace I leave with you. And that peace means nothing missing, nothing broken. I don't know about you, but I was a broken mess before I came to Christ. I was beaten down, wounded, broken. And all my decisions before Christ that I was making was coming from all that brokenness. All of it. And the day that I heard those words spoken to me as I was reading his word, 
Like, Rob, peace I give you. Peace I leave with you. Nothing missing, nothing broken. There is a new way to live, Rob. Start making decisions believing that. Start making decisions that your past does no longer define you. Stop making decisions because you feel shameful or guilty or people want to throw your past up to you. Stop making decisions from the past. No, make your decisions based out of my love for you. That's how Christians should be living because that's what people see something different about us. Like we go through the same trials that we do, but you react differently. You're in the same world as I am, being pulled by everything that's out there, but you don't respond to it. Like, what's different about you? And then you have the opportunity to share. It's what Jesus has done in my life. It's who I am now. He's my Lord. The Bible says that you have been adopted, you've been engrafted into his kingdom. He's given you the right to call him Abba, to call him Daddy. Enemy is working overtime to enslave God's people. The flesh is working overtime to pull you away from the things of God. The world is working overtime to entice you. But Jesus is already victorious, Amen. He's already seated. He cried out from the cross, it is finished. I've accomplished what I came to do. Mm. Now it's up to either, all of us to either believe it or not. Mm. It's your choice. See, you've heard me say and encourage you, people have a right to live however they want. They do. They do. But how sad when people choose to dismiss Jesus and go about their way. To live however they want and dismiss him. You see, ultimately what they've chosen is his wrath. People don't like the fact that there is a hell. And how, how could God send people to hell? No, no. God doesn't send people to hell. You choose to go to hell. You choose to say, I'd rather rebel against you and your kingdom so I can live however I want down here on this earth. That's your right. And he loves you enough to give you what you want. You want this, he'll turn you over to it. Romans 1 talks about that. He turns us over to the depravity of our mind. That's what you want. That's how you want to live. Here, have it. And have it to its full. Because nothing good is going to come from it. But if you choose Jesus, all things. The Bible says that he's come to give life and life in abundance. It's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. See, we've got to see him for truly who he is if we're truly going to live for him. We've got to see him truly for who he is, and we've got to be ignited with such a passion and a zeal for him. Because what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength, with your very being. Love the Lord. And in a chaotic generation that we live in, where such deception is being taught on all levels, 
you can know God and you can live and walk differently. And that's what we've been reading as we've opened up God's word. Even back in the Old Testament, these people live in the godless generation and yet Abraham lived upright. He had a relationship with God and it was passed on to Isaac. And Isaac has passed it on to Jacob. And God is building a nation. Remember, we started Genesis 1. God spoke and God created Adam and Eve. They lived in this garden, this paradise. They walked with God. And God said to them, you can have whatever you want of this garden, but not that one tree. Stay away from it. Remember, God wasn't surprised that Adam and Eve went their own way, that they were deceived. Remember the cross, the Bible says, it was purposed way before the earth was formed. All along, God wants to display his love to all creation. This beautiful story of redemption. No greater love than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did for us. And in that, Jesus calls us to that. You want to know if you truly grasp what love is? Have you laid your life down for Jesus? No greater love ever to be displayed. So the serpent creeps in. And he twists God's word. Did God really say... And he threw doubt in to the heart and mind of Eve. And as she, as she doubted God, so she went her way. And in doing so, she led her husband the wrong way. Remember, God said to the serpent, there's going to come one that's going to crush your head. And it'll be a seed from the woman. So I know sometimes reading the Old Testament... Old Testament, it could seem boring and it could seem very long, like, oh my goodness. But I want to encourage you, if you're truly going to know who your God is, you've got to see him from beginning to end. You've got to understand this plan of redemption that has been caught in the pages of this book to be revealed to you. God's plan all along was to have a people that he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God. They will live for him. They will honor him. They will follow him. But this Messiah, this seed that was to come from the woman, had to come from this nation that he is building, Israel. And now we're seeing, as we've been studying, this nation come to pass. And we're going to see even more about God's people throughout the Old Testament. Sometimes they ran it for God, other times they weren't. They went and they, and they did whatever they want. They mixed themselves up with the things of this world. And then we see in the New Testament, as we're studying the New Testament, Jesus, the Messiah. He's already, as we're studying and where we're at in it, he's already been born. He's, he's already begun his public ministry. The very ones who should have known him do not know him. They're agitated by him. They hate him. They want him dead. Because they want to hold on to their life. They want to hold on to their, their, their standards and their purpose. Their position. 
and now their position is being threatened by the very own God in whom they say they know and yet don't know. And isn't that with us before we come to Christ? When we, when we wrestle, like, I don't want to give that up. I don't want to do this. No, I want to keep me. I want to do me. Like, we fight for this position. Do we really know what we're fighting for? And do we really know who we're fighting against? The very nature of love itself, the, the very understanding that God is love, he himself is drawing you to him, and yet you're fighting him. I wrestled far too long with God. Many years. But it wasn't until I really understood the peace of God. Romans 5.1 says, Now therefore you're at peace with God. Listen, too many times what we do is we offer people God's kingdom. Oh, God will bless you. God of this, God this, God that. And we don't offer them God. They don't know who God is. Who's the one that's blessing me? No, we want people to know their king first. And then they're discipled in the understanding of what comes in his kingdom. And that's what we're doing as we're opening up. Now, last week, we opened up and we read a lot of drama going on between the baby's mamas. A lot of drama. These women were jealous of each other. They were fighting for their, their, to have more children. They wanted, to, they wanted to gain their husband's approval, their husband, because there was only one, Jacob. And yet, even in the midst of all of that, even in the midst of all this drama going around Jacob, he was remaining faithful. He was serving, he was working, he was faithful into what God called him to. Remember, Jacob had his own issues. He was a trickster. He manipulated to get the blessing from his father. And now, remember, he was sent away because his brother Esau, who should have received the blessing, wanted him dead. A lot of family drama. So the mother of Jacob and Esau said, send Jacob away. <laughs> Isaac blessed Jacob. Jacob then goes fleeing. And on his way to where his uncle lives, remember he encountered God. And it changed his life. It changed his life. And remember, God spoke to him, and God said, I'm going to bring you back. And that's what we're learning about God, is that God is faithful to what he speaks, you all. You can't twist God. You can't try to manipulate him. You can't try to do good things to try to get what you want. No, what well, God has already established its purpose. The Bible says that he knows the plans that he has for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope and a future. He's the one, the Bible says, that has prepared good works for you to do even before you were born. He's the one that says he will make every crooked path straight if you just trust him. And do you remember how Jacob responded to God? Jacob said, if this be so, if you do do this, you'll be my God. And I'll follow you. Jacob enters in. He meets his uncle. His uncle tricks him. He married 
his first wife, which would be his cousin, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he marries his cousin. <laughs> so then he really wanted to marry Rachel, because Rachel was beautiful. But he had to wait another seven years. And then his uncle Laban gave him Rachel. Anyways, Laban has really pressed in on Jacob, holding him, if you would, captive. But even in the midst of his captivity, Jacob was faithful. And that's what I want to ask you all today. Even in the midst of your circumstances that are beyond your control, even in the midst of things that don't seem right in your life, either by your own hands or by the hands of others, are you faithful? Are you faithful to the God who has revealed himself to you? Jacob was. And Jacob is at a place now where he's leaving. Remember we left off last week, he tells his wife, wives, we're leaving. Basically, pack up. God is, God, what God has spoken, he is doing, and we're moving on. We're moving on to what God has for us. And that's where we pick up today. Chapter 31, verse 17. So Jacob put his wives and children on camels, and he drove all his livestock in front of him. He packed all the belongings he had acquired in Padam Aram and set out for the land of Canaan where his father Isaac lived. At the same time they left, Laban, who was Jacob's uncle, was some distance away shearing his sheep. Rachel, this wife of Jacob, who has a lot of issues. She was beautiful, but she had a lot of issues. Careful. What looks good to the eye is not always what's right for you. Because Rachel stole her father's household idols and took them with her. Now, let's think about that for a moment. Jacob is a man living as unto the Lord. Living for God, trusting in God. The one true God. And now he's married Rachel. <coughs> And Rachel seems to have more belief in her father's gods and idols than in the God of her husband. Careful of those you allow into your life and who is traveling with you on this road of life who wants to bring with them the things of this world, the worthless, the worthless idols of the world careful of who you have in your company because they always will cause issues she stole them she took them didn't make it known to anyone she thought these worthless idols had more power than the almighty God Jacob outwitted Laban, the Aramean, for they set out secretly and never told Laban they were leaving. So Jacob took all his possessions with him and crossed the Euphrates River, heading to the hill country of Gilead. Three days later, Laban was told 
that Jacob had fled. So he gathered a group of his relatives and set out in hot pursuit. He caught up with Jacob seven days later in the hill country of Gilead. But the previous night, God had appeared to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream, and told him, I am warning you, leave Jacob alone. The Almighty God appeared to this godless man, Laban, and spoke to Laban and said, I'm warning you, leave Jacob alone. Now, we have studied and we have an understanding that people back in this day, just like in our day, they may talk about God and Jesus. They don't know him. But they acknowledge him of some sorts, in some way. But they will not serve him. As it was back in the Old Testament, so we see it now. People are having encounters with God, but yet it doesn't change their life. Laban had a fear of God because he didn't end up touching Jacob, as we'll see. But he didn't turn to God. <coughs> People may have a fear of God, that doesn't mean they're following God. Laban caught up with Jacob as he was camped in the hill country of Gilead. And he set up his camp not far from Jacob's. What do you mean by deceiving me? Like this, Laban demanded. How dare you drag my daughters away like prisoners of war? Why did you slip away secretly? Why did you deceive me? And why didn't you say you wanted to leave? I would have given you a farewell feast with singing and music, accompanied by tambourines and harps. Why didn't you let me kiss my daughters and grandchildren and then tell them goodbye? You have acted very foolishly. I could destroy you, but listen to this. But the God of your father appeared to me last night and warned me, leave Jacob alone. I can understand your feeling that you must go and your intense longing for your father's home. But why have you stolen my gods? Mm -hmm. Now, at first, you would think, oh, he really cares about his daughters and his grandchildren. He didn't. Remember before what his daughters said? Like, basically, he dismissed his daughters, and they were treated like foreign women. His, his care for chasing after Jacob wasn't for his daughters and his grandchildren as he first opened up. In fact, everything he said, this is what I would have done for you. That's not your characteristic, Laban. You wouldn't have done that. You would have held them captive. Right. The problem that Laban had was, you stole my gods. You took my idols with you. That's the root of the issue. So Jacob says, I rushed away because I was afraid, Jacob answered. I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. But as for your gods, see if you can find them, and let the person who has taken them die. Mm. And if you find anything else that belongs to you, identify it before all these relatives of ours, and I will give it back. But Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the household gods. Jacob had no clue 
what was traveling with him. Laban went first into Jacob's tent to search there, then into Leah's, and then the tents of the two servant wives, but he found nothing. Finally, he went into Rachel's tent, but this woman's a hot mess. <laughs> Rachel had taken the household idols and hidden them in her camel saddle, and now she is sitting on them. Laban is tearing up everything in the camp trying to find these gods. He wants his gods. He wants what he thinks has been bringing him luck. <coughs> when Laban had thoroughly searched her tent without finding them, she said to her father, as she is sitting on the idols on her camel, Please, sir, forgive me if I don't get up for you. I am having my monthly period. So Laban continued his search, but he could not find the household idols. Then Jacob became very angry, and he challenged Laban. What's my crime, he demanded. What have I done wrong to make you chase after me as though I was a criminal? You have rummaged through everything I own. Now show me what you have found that belongs to you. Set it out here in front of us, before our relatives, for all of us to see. Let them judge between us. For 20 years, Jacob continues, I have been with you, caring for your flocks. And all the time, your sheep and goats never miscarried. And all those years, I never used a single ram of yours for food. If any were attacked and killed by wild animals, I never showed you the carcass and asked you to reduce the count of your flock. No, I took the loss myself. You made me pay for everything, every stolen animal, whether it was taken in broad daylight or in the dark of night. I worked for you through the scorching heat of the day and through the cold and sleepless nights. Yes, for 20 years I slaved in your house. I worked 14 years earning your two daughters and then six more years for your flock and you changed my wages ten times in fact if the God of my father had not been on my side the God of Abraham the fearsome God of Isaac you would have sent me away empty-handed mm -hmm. but God has seen your abuse and my hard work that is why he appeared to you last night and rebuked you. Wow. I love it. Jacob lays out the truth. And in summing up the truth, he brings it right back around to God. God. You see, God has a purpose for Jacob's life. Through Jacob, a nation will be formed that ultimately the Messiah, Jesus, will come through. Then Laban replied to Jacob, These women are my children, are my daughters. Their children are my grandchildren. These flocks are my flocks. In fact, everything you have or everything you see is mine. But what can I do now about my daughters and their children? So come, let's make a covenant, you and I, and it will be a witness to our commitment. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a monument. Then he told <clears throat> his family members, gather some stones. So they gathered stones and piled them in the heap. 
Then Jacob and Laban sat down beside the pile of stone to eat a covenant meal. To commemorate the event, Laban called the place Jirga Sadukva, which means witness pile. And Jacob called it Galid, which means witness pile. Then Laban declared, this pile of stones will stand as a witness to remind us of the covenant we've made today. This explains why, why it is called Galid, witness pile. But it was also called Mizpah, which means watchtower. For Laban said, may the Lord keep watch between us to make sure that we keep this covenant when we are out of each other's sight. If you mistreat my daughters or, even, or if you marry otherwise, God will see it even if no one else does. He is a witness to this covenant between us. See this pile of stone, Laban continued, and see this monument I have set before us. They stand between us as witness of our vows. I will never pass this pile of stones to harm you, and you must never pass these stones or this monument to harm me. I call on the God of our ancestors, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of my grandfather Nahor to serve as a judge between us. So Jacob took an oath before the fearsome God of his father Isaac to respect the boundary line. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice to God there on the mountain and invited everyone to a covenant feast. After they had eaten, they spent the night on the mountain. Laban got up early the next morning and he kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then he left and returned home. Wow. See, covenants back in those days was a signed, sealed deal. There, what they spoke, what they agreed on, it was set in place. But it's interesting that Laban says, I call on the God of our ancestors, the God of your grandfather Abraham, Abraham, the God of my grandfather Nahor, to serve as a judge between us. He's still not following the God of his ancestors, but he'll call upon them. He'll call upon them. Again, be careful. Just because someone talks about Jesus, just because someone talks about God, doesn't make them saved. There's a lot of people who can talk about God, but you, talk, you bring up Jesus and they don't want nothing, no conversation of it. There's a lot of people who will talk about God's love, but yet when you express to them that he's so loved that he gave Jesus, they want to leave it alone. Leave Jesus out of it. But you can't. Because look how Jacob responded. You'll see the difference. Laban called on the God of his ancestors. Not his own personal God. Jacob offered a sacrifice to God. He worshipped God. That's how you'll always tell the difference. If someone's claiming God, if someone's claiming to be in relationship with Jesus, they worship him. Remember what I said earlier? The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength, with your every bit of your being. Respond to him with a life of worshiping him. We're going to go on for a few more verses in chapter 32. As Jacob started on his way again, angels of God came to meet him. 
When Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, This is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanim. We have seen Jacob have these encounters, visions, and now he's having these encounters with angels. And just so we have a clear understanding, we do not worship angels. Angels are messengers of God. They are not meant to be worshipped. But when he had an encounter, listen to what he says here. This is God's camp. Do you remember where Jacob's going? Back home. home. Who was home? His brother Esau, Mm -hmm. who hates him and wants to kill him. Jacob has no understanding of where Laban is at. The last thing he knows is that, I'm sorry, yeah, Jacob has no understanding where Esau is at. The last thing he knows about his brother is that his brother wants him dead. Doesn't make sense in our own temporal mind. God, why would you send him back to face his brother? Ah, sometimes you gotta face that which has been hindering you far too long. You gotta face your fears. You gotta face your enemies. In order to get beyond them, you gotta face them. I have not seen once in here where God tells his people to retreat. God says, I'm with you. I am your God. I've got you. Trust me. Trust me. Worship me. And watch what I will accomplish for you. Jacob had no clue what he's heading into. All he knew was God was calling him back. And we have to respond as Jacob responds in obedience. Sometimes you just got to step out in faith and go. And not everything's going to be placed before you. You don't know how things are going to end up, but you do know this your God is victorious. Amen. If you're a Christian, if you've called on Jesus, you've been engrafted into his kingdom, God is for you. If not, God's not for you. No matter how you want to pretend he is, he isn't. The Bible's very clear. You're either for him or you're against him. He knows your heart. He knows those who are for him and those who are against him. Remember, Jesus had a huge following of people. They were excited. Jesus was doing miracles. Jesus was feeding them. Jesus was doing all this stuff for them. But when it came time for Jesus to say, this is who I am, this is how you're going to live, remember how they responded? This is too hard for us to understand. And they went back to their own lives. Too many people find themselves doing that. They want Jesus to bless them. They want Jesus to take care of them. They want Jesus to perform miracles. Let us use you for what we want, Jesus. And Jesus says, that's not how it goes. (laughs) I'm God. And you're going to eat of my flesh and you're going to drink of my blood. And as soon as the truth was given to them, they were like, this is too hard. We would rather you perform for us. But since you're not, we'll go back to how we lived. And then he looked at the 12 disciples and he says, are you going with them? Remember how they responded? Where can we go? You have the words to 
eternal life. See, you were meant and you were created for eternity. You will spend eternity either with him or separated from him. Your choice. But once you have a clear understanding of eternity, like that last song I played, I can only imagine what it will be like to stand before him. Because all of us have one thing in common, a couple of things, besides being born into sin. But the other thing that we have in common is we're all going to take our last breath one day. It'll be taken from you. And in that moment, there's no retreating. In that moment, there's no like, oh, no, in that moment, you will stand before him. And you'll have to give an account for your life. And you can't blame your mama, and you can't blame your daddy, and you can't blame this person, and you can't blame that person. It's you. You're held accountable for how you lived. You're held accountable. Jesus is revealing himself to people. Either you want him for who you want him to be, or you're serving him for truly who he is. But trust me, who you want him to be, how you try to play the games and try to get blessed by him, doesn't work that way. Jacob is heading back home. He doesn't know what's ahead of him. All he knows is God is calling him there. Amen. Then Jacob sends, sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir, the land of Edom. He told them, give this message to my master Esau. Quite a different Jacob now, we see. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. But remember, that's not what God purposed for Jacob. Esau was to serve Jacob. But Jacob is humbling himself. Until now, I have been living with Uncle Laban, and I now I own cattle, donkeys, flocks of sheep and goats, and many servants, both men and women. I have sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. Jacob, if I had an opportunity to speak to Jacob before he sent this message, I would say, Jacob, what are you doing? Yes, humble yourself, but in his humility, it's not really the, the, the correct way of being humble. Because look at what he's saying. Look at all that I have. I'm hoping that you'll be friendly to me. Instead of really understanding Jacob, you're the one who's called of God. You don't have to bow down to be accepted by those outside of God. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother, Esau, and he, had, he is already on his way to meet you. And look what they throw in. With an army of 400 men. <laughs> Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household along with the flocks and herds and camels into two groups. He thought if Esau meets one group and attacks, it perhaps the other group can escape. 
So far, we see Jacob trying to persuade things and, and move things along in his human strength. He tries to settle things with, with Esau. He then realizes by the news that Esau's coming with 400 men. Okay, let's, let's do this. We'll make one group over here and one group over here. He's trying to do things in his own strength. It's not till finally, as we end with this today, that he turns back to God. He realizes where his source of strength comes from. Then Jacob prayed, O God my, of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives. And you promised me I will treat you kindly. I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. That is true humility right there. Look at what he declares. I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. Oh Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I am afraid that he is coming to attack me along with my wives and children. But you promised me I will surely treat you kindly and will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore to me to count. Do you see how he's praying? Do you see him proclaiming the truth of God's word and what God has already established? Do you see how he's combating his fear and his anxiety? Amen. He tried to handle it in his own strength. He sent his messengers to Esau. He's divided his camp. But now he realizes the only one I truly can turn to is the God of my father, my grandfather, and the Lord who spoke to me. And he was reminding God, God, this is what you have spoken. Isn't it interesting? So many times when we have seasons of, of, of issues in our life, we blame God for them. If we will learn to stop blaming God, start trusting God, truly accepting him for who he is as Lord and Savior, then we wouldn't grumble and complain against him. No, we would worship him. And we would be reminded of his truth, of his word, that he has established that he's faithful to. Amen? Amen. Go to Matthew chapter 20. Oh, chapter 10. We left off where Jesus sent out his disciples. They were to go into these towns <clears throat> telling others of Jesus. Remember, he tells them, they're going to hate you. You're going to be flawed. You're going to be beaten. You're going to stand before governors and rulers. But that's the opportunity to speak of me. 
And I encouraged y'all last time, in your temporal mind, who would sign up for that? These people were waiting for the Messiah. They believed that a Messiah would come, but they believed him to be a temporal Messiah. They wanted him to overthrow Rome so they wouldn't be oppressed anymore. They were only looking for someone temporal to take care of their temporal needs. They didn't see him for who he was. But listen to what they were told. I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. This is what's going to happen to you. And they went. I love how we ended the last time we were together. Verse 24 is where I'm going. Students are not greater than their teacher, and slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher, and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called by even worse names. You're not greater than Jesus. Remember, the religious people said that Jesus was doing all these miracles and healings by the power of Satan. And Jesus said, if they said that about me, they're going to say worse about you. So we pick up verse 26. But don't be afraid of those who threaten you. For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daylight comes. What I whisper in your ears, shout from the housetops for all to hear. He is preparing them for his death and his resurrection and the message of the good news of the Son of the living God that came to take the sins of the world to freely set men free through his power a time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed everything you're learning everything I'm speaking everything I'm sharing with you everything that I'm pouring into you shout it out Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Don't be afraid of what man's going to say about you and your walk with Christ. Not everybody's going to be pleased that you're a Christian. Because the moment you give your life to Christ, your life changes. A true Christian is marked by a transformed life. doesn't mean you're perfect. But it doesn't mean you continue to sin. You don't have a rebellious life and say you're with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. No, he doesn't tolerate rebellion. He's already done away with it. He's already freed you from that life. That's why in the New Testament, as you're reading, Paul, as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, is telling the church, grow up, grow up, grow up into the newness of who you are in Christ. Because if you keep living the way that you're living, you're not inheriting his kingdom. You're no different from those who are lost. And Jesus is telling his disciples as he is sending them out, do not be afraid of what men are going to say about you. Don't you fear man. They may kill your body, 
but they cannot destroy your soul. And then he tells them, these are Jesus' words, fear only God who can destroy both your soul and your body in hell. And some translation says, you know who you should fear? Fear God, the one who can kill you and throw you into hell. You should not be more afraid of men or the things of this world or how people may mock and laugh at you because you're a Christian. The world is not going to embrace Jesus, you all. Look at what the world is doing out there now. Everything is on the increase against the kingdom of God. What used to be good is now bad, and what used to be bad is now good. What used to be done in darkness and in secret is now being done in light. It's being exposed to everybody. And the church is retreating into darkness. Or the church is trying to look like the world. And that's not what the church is supposed to do. The church is to be a witness as to Jesus Christ, his resurrection, his power, his victory. Jesus is telling them. And then he goes on, don't be afraid of those who want, oh, never mind. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very numbers of hair on your head, they are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Did y'all hear that? You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Wait a minute, did you hear that? Those are Jesus' words. I know we like to make Jesus this kind of hugs and muffin type of guy, this hippie, this all-consuming, everyone's in, everyone's okay. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus says himself, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to divide like a sword. What? Those are Jesus' words. And yet we see a gospel being peddled in our generation that it's all about this peace and love and, and kindness and everyone's coming together and everything is going to be perfect. That's not the gospel. Jesus, the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel is going to offend people. The, the, the reality is, is that the people of this world is not going to receive the message of Jesus. And it's going to cause an issue. And then he goes on and he says, I have come to set man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. Because when you give your life to Christ, your mama may not be a Christian. Your daddy may not be a Christian. Your mother-in-law may not be a Christian. Your father-in-law, your uncles, your niece, your nephews, whoever. They may not be Christians, and they're going to be ticked off that you're around. They're not going to be pleasant. They're going to remind you of your past constantly. 
because it helps them to remain enslaved to their present. Jesus says, it's not going to be hugs and muffins, you all. Follow me. It's going to cost you everything. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Anyone who receives you receives me. And anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you will be given the reward like theirs. And if you are given, if you give a cup of water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Jesus' words, you all. Jesus' words. This isn't man writing him his his thoughts. <laughs> These are Jesus' words that are penned in his holy book to reveal himself to us. Do not be deceived, he's telling his disciples, those who will follow him. The message in which I am giving you, the message about me this world will not receive. Because they hate me. They despise me. And do you realize why before Christ we hate him and despise him? Because we want our own way. We want the temporalness of life to fill us up. Can't tell me how to live. And you're fighting against love. You're fighting against the very one who made you. He's the author of life. And yet you put on your big girl pants or your big boy pants and you want to fight against him. He says, okay, you choose that way, that's your choice. But I've encouraged this before, how foolish it is to desire his wrath and not his love. I don't want to become a Christian. Oh, my life will be boring then. What? No. You begin to truly know how to live life to the fullest now as a Christian. What you're seeing as boring is that you're trying to cling again to the things that can be stripped away in a heartbeat. Think about that. What are you fighting to keep that he is asking you to give? Give up. Stop going that way. Stop doing things that way. You're not benefiting from it. Why aren't you telling others about Jesus? Why aren't you living a godly life before a godless generation? Why? Because you're afraid that they're going to bully you? Don't be afraid of them. Why aren't you living it out? Even when no one else is living it out. Well, they're going to say this about Who cares what they say about you? Do you love him? That's the question. Do you love him. John the Baptist is in prison at this time. Remember John the Baptist? 
before Jesus, God prepared John the Baptist to prepare the way. He was the one crying out in the wilderness, calling sinners to repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then Jesus shows up, and John goes, he's the one I've been talking about. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. John the Baptist is in prison. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard of all these things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Wait a minute. John the Baptist... But when I read this scripture, I take such comfort. Because there will be seasons in your life, in your Christian walk, that doubt will try to creep in. (coughs) Is he truly God? Because I'm in prison right now. And things just don't seem to be going well for me. I believed. But is he truly? And I love how Jesus responds. He doesn't rebuke John the Baptist's disciple. He doesn't rebuke John. Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him that you have heard and seen the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. He sends back an encouraging word. John, don't give up. Don't fall away. Don't stop believing, John, because everything about me that was said is being done because I am the Messiah. I am the one that mankind has been waiting for to save the oppressed people and to make people right with God through me. He encourages John. And that's what we ought to do for each other. Life gets hard, you all. Things happen in this crazy world to to believers and unbelievers. It rains on both the wicked and the righteous. But while we are on this earth as Christians... Don't grow weary. Don't give up because your circumstances are beyond your control. No, just be encouraged in the midst of it. He is God. He is God. Go to Psalm chapter 13, or Psalm 13. Psalm that David wrote. And as I was studying it this week, you know, there's been many times, and I'm sure as you hear these words, that these are words that maybe you have in yourself experienced. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle 
with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day. How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, We have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice in my downfall. Have you ever been in a place that you felt abandoned? Your circumstances are beyond your control. You're being pressed up against on every side. Not sure what the next hour will hold for you. You've got such pain and grief and sorrow in your heart. David cries out, O oh Lord, how long will you forget me? He describes in this psalm that he's penned the anguish that is within him. But what I read to you was not the end of the psalm. That was just the beginning. It's in the end of what he penned that he answers his own questions to God because he remembers who God is. Verse 5. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. And again, we see this concept, if you would, of spiritual warfare. You may have a season in your life where you feel abandoned. You may have a season in your life when you're dealing with a lot of pain and sorrow deep inside. You may be questioning God. God, where are you? God, I keep crying out to you. God, are you even listening? God, how much longer must I go through this? But if you would just remember who he is. Because in the midst of all of that heaviness, look what he says he will do. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I trust in your unfailing love. I will sing unto you, for you have been good to me. How does he transform us? By changing the way we think. That's what the Bible says. You are reborn. You are of a new nature. You don't think the way you used to think. The Bible says that you are to take every thought captive and bring it into the obedience of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you're not taking your thoughts captive, if all he did was sit there and meditate on one through four, he would have found no hope. But he took his thoughts captive and he remembered to declare, but I trust in your unfailing love. Though this is how my life looks, I'm trusting in your unfailing love. I know that you will rescue me, for you are good and you are faithful. Sometimes you need a little bit of encouragement from your own lips. Too many times you try to find encouragement elsewhere. Sometimes it has to be you speaking out of your mouth what you believe and know to be true about God that will get you through what you're facing. Go, we're going to close in Proverbs chapter 3. We've been talking about wisdom. 
the book of Proverbs is a book full of wisdom. We're going to have a couple more nuggets given to us this week to meditate on. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. She offers you long life in her right hand, speaking of wisdom. And riches and honor in her left. Speaking again of wisdom. She, wisdom, will guide you down delightful paths. All of her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. Wisdom. Are you lacking wisdom today? Then ask. We have not because we've asked not. Wisdom satisfies us. Making decisions and choices that are honoring God is applying wisdom. As long as you apply wisdom, as long as you're honoring God with how you're stepping, what you're reaching for, how you're speaking, how you're thinking, your life begins to transform and you will be satisfied. Oh, no way, I'll be satisfied when my rent is paid. I'll be satisfied when I have a better car. I'll be satisfied when I have this person in my life. I'll be satisfied when all my problems are taken care of. No, you won't be. Because as soon as that may be, need may be met, you're going to have another need. And you're going to have another need. And you're going to have another need. You have another insecurity that someone has to fill. No, no. Don't be fooled by the ways of the flesh. Wisdom satisfies you. When you honor God in everything you say and do, your circumstances cannot scream at you. Your insecurities do not rule you because you know your Amen. Take these scriptures, go back through them, study them, know him, and be encouraged this week that he is for you and not against you. I'm going to play this last song, and then I'll close this in prayer. Of deliverance.